Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey, what's going on? It is Devin. The Bay is off, spending the week going over some listener feedback. And so this week we're sharing some of our favorite episodes from other KQD podcasts. And I want to share this next story because I used to be an education reporter. And one of the most important conversations I remember having with teachers and parents was this divide between the classroom and the home. KQED's MindShift podcast looked at this issue. MindShift covers the cultural trends in education and learning. Their new season just started this week. So coming up after the break, MindShift's latest episode. You're listening to The Bay, and now I'm going to turn it over to KQED's MindShift. My first home visit, it, it was awkward because all they did was vent. Are they trying to check on me? Do they think I'm doing something wrong? Parents, they react to you differently. They see you differently once you've been in their home. I took it as on like, she cares for me. She's coming into my home, you know. I was a little scared and intimidated. Welcome to MindShift, the podcast from KQED about the future of learning and what it means for our kids. I'm Katrina Schwartz. And I'm Ki Sung. Today, Katrina has a story about one strategy schools are using to bridge the gap between teachers and families, home visits. It's weird to call someone and say, can I come to your house? Can I come over? You know, um, that's not how people do it, typically. Jen Adkins has been teaching for 18 years, most recently at Luther Burbank High School in Sacramento, California. But before she came to Luther Burbank, a school with about 1,700 kids, three-quarters of whom are low-income, Jen taught at a couple different private schools. That kind of soured her on parents. They would bombard her with calls and emails and show up unannounced in the middle of the day. It felt intrusive and inappropriate. I was just like, ah. I don't, I don't want to do parents. They're too much. Once you open that door, they just, like, come. They're eating dinner with you, you know? In some ways, she was relieved that parents weren't quite so involved at Burbank. And it's why she was skeptical when she first heard that some teachers choose to visit parents in their homes. No, mm-mm, don't want to. Don't want to go to your house, you know? Don't want to meet your parents. Plenty of people have that reaction. And no one forces teachers to do home visits. But Jen decided to attend a training after hearing good things from colleagues. And during the training, she started to think there was more to the story of parent engagement at Burbank than she realized. She was struck by one mother's story. She couldn't trust her children's teachers or admin or anything, her children's school, 
because of her own experiences in school and because she had attended that school and it had damaged her and broken her in a lot of ways. That'll make you cry. I mean, that's not what this is about, breaking people. It's about building people if you're doing it right. Jen was impressed by how the home visit helped this woman trust her child's teacher and how it empowered her to get involved in her child's education. She decided to give the home visit thing a try. She started with one of her freshmen, Hernan Gonzalez. It's more than anything nerve-wracking because, you know, like, you're used to seeing the teacher in school. I was a little scared and intimidated. I actually felt like she was going to go tell them, like, bad things about me. I chose one of my students that um, I felt I had positive rapport with, but who I could not get to sort of um, push himself at all and who was um, really not succeeding. I wasn't doing too well at that time. I had this whole other story in my head about his parents and his family and, and that they might be working constantly and he was, you know, and it wasn't that. It wasn't that at all. She met my whole family. It was an amazing experience. I just realized so immediately, within the first five minutes, like he has this really um, strong home base, you know, with these very caring parents who are, who are totally doing their best for him. I took it as I'm like, she cares for me, she's coming into my home, you know. She gave me a, just a whole different insight into how to reach him and how to talk to him, and he's not succeeding because of his own obstacles, not because of a lack of this or that. Hernan's parents told Jen he'd never really liked school, and Hernan shared that he'd rather be working than in a classroom. Together they talked about their hopes and dreams for his future. It was kind of magical. I left thinking, well, that was good use of an hour. That's going to come back. You know what I mean? I'm going to be able to capitalize on that hour, and I have. Things didn't change instantly, but Hernan says the visit changed his perception of teachers. I'm grateful for her that she actually came through and came to my house, you know. That created, like, even a stronger bond than we have now. Heading into his junior year, Hernan is doing better in school. In that conversation with his teacher and family, he realized, kind of for the first time, just how hard it had been for his dad to leave Mexico, cross the border, and find work with just an elementary school education. That made him want to try harder in school. I want to make him proud. I haven't heard I'm proud of you since, like, elementary, you know. It'd mean a lot to me if, you know, like, walk the stage in high school, you know, I'm proud of you, son, you know, it'd mean a lot. Jen says the home visit built trust with everyone involved. But just as important to her, it uncovered some of the assumptions she was making. As teachers, you know, we see them in this one context every day, and it's for 55 minutes, and it's not the whole picture, but we start to feel like it's the whole picture, like we know them really well, because it, it adds up to a lot of hours. And um, so I feel like we make these assumptions and we start to fill in the gaps. With so many students and parents that don't show up for back-to-school nights, it's easy to project onto families. Jen says she tries not to do that anymore. I just, I feel more respectful of the parents that I don't know. I feel like I'm filling in the gaps with more respectful stories now. We've heard some of the ways home visits go well, the relationships they can build, the way it can shift assumptions. But even at Luther Burbank, which has supported home visits for a long time, 
only about a quarter of teachers choose to do home visits. One big barrier is fear. They are worried about going into the community and, you know, getting heard. Yesenia Ramirez helped start the Sacramento Parent Teacher Home Visit Project over 20 years ago because she was frustrated with the schools. I am a mother of six girls, and I wanted to be involved in their education. I wanted to be part of the school, and I just didn't know how. Yesenia volunteered, but it wasn't having any impact on their achievement. I kept knocking on the door, and I wasn't getting the help that I needed. She started floating the idea of home visits with other parents, and the program grew from there. Now, Yesenia trains teachers in 20 states on how to do home visits. And she trained the Luther Burbank teachers. There are some non-negotiables in this model. This is not a drop-in home visit. They have to set up an appointment, um, and both they both have to agree that they want to meet. That's number one. But also, the program is voluntary. Teachers go in pairs. The first visit must be positive, focused on hopes and dreams. And it's not targeted. Any child can have a home visit. That's to prevent the visits from becoming a stigma. But at the end of the day is they know you're coming. Even so, after 20 years, Yesenia knows what she's going to hear from teachers. Everywhere we go, it's, it's always the same. It's, you know, I'm going to go in there and something is going to happen to me, or I'm going to go in there and I'm going to see something. And then they're going to come back and they're going to have to report to CPS, and then they didn't build any relationship with the family. CPS, that's Child Protective Services, and it's a big fear for both teachers and parents. It's always we're afraid that they're going to come and judge us or come and see if we're good parents or if we have our houses clean or it cuts both ways. What if they really want to come and check on? April Ibarra has two daughters in Sacramento Public Schools. The oldest, Kenya, is going into middle school now, and April remembers feeling insulted when her first grade teacher asked to visit. I said no because I didn't want her to come into my home and be nosy. I didn't want her to come and check on us. Like, who did she think she was? When she was a kid, April's family moved back and forth from Texas a few times, and each time she came back to Sacramento, it was a shock. She went from loving school and feeling smart to hating it, and she felt her teacher stereotyped her as a dropout before she even stepped in the door. She promised herself she wouldn't let the same thing happen to her daughters. I was very resistive to the school and what they would tell me I needed to do. And they represented this institution that failed me. And I thought, you know, that here are these people who are just coming for a paycheck. April didn't think the teachers cared about her daughter. And when Kenya got behind, it seemed to reinforce everything she was already feeling. I just remember the, the they really wanted to work with me to help Kenya to get ahead. but. I didn't care because they were wrong in my eyes. To teachers who didn't know April well, her resistance might have seemed like she didn't care. And I was always angry when I talked to them. But Kenya's first grade teacher got April's attention when she said the home visit could help Kenya in the classroom. I thought it would be kind of hypocritical for me to say, I want to help my child, I want to help my child, help me help my child. And then the teacher tell me this is going to help her and I say no. When April saw those two white teachers walking through her rough neighborhood with smiles on their faces, something started to shift. She was impressed teachers would visit on their own time. It showed her they cared. In fact, time is a logistical barrier for many teachers. That's why Sacramento pays teachers for time spent on home visits, 
a gesture that can go a long way to making people feel like their time is valued. We become co-educators. Yeah, the communication begins to happen. Yeah, my child can cheat. Their academics can, you know, get better. But what we learn as human beings from this home visit, I think that's where the beauty lies. That's what outside evaluators of the Parent-Teacher Home Visit Project have said, too. One study found students that received home visits had 24% fewer absences and were more likely to be reading at or above grade level than families that didn't receive a home visit. Another study found improved relationships, more trust, and less teacher burnout. No one is claiming that home visits will be a quick fix to the complex issues of poverty, racism, and inequality. But if there's one truism I've heard from teachers across the country, it's that relationships with students make a huge difference for learning. And home visits are one way to start building that kind of trust, not just with students, but also with their families. That's Katrina Schwartz and Ki Sung, hosts of KQED's MindShift podcast. MindShift just launched its third season, and you just heard the first episode of that new season. There's a longer version of the story, but you got to tap on over to the subscribe button to hear it. And while you're there, leave them a rating or add a comment. Helps people find the show. MindShift is produced by me, Ki Sung. And me, Katrina Schwartz. Our editor is Jacob Conrad, and Seth Samuel is our audio specialist. Thanks to our colleagues, Olivia Ellen Price, Vinnie Tong, Erica Aguilar, Laura Clymans, Paul Lancour, Jim Bennett, Carlos Gonzalez, and Julie Kane for their help with this episode. MindShift is a part of KQED News, and our vice president of news is Holly Kernan. Thanks also to the Masumi family, the McPherson family, Yesenia Ramirez, April Ibarra, Pam Burek, Miguel Campos, Jennifer Adkins, Hernan Gonzalez, Janet Spillman, and everyone else at Luther Burbank High School. I'm Devin Kadiyama, and just a reminder that The Bay is on a break, but we'll be back on Monday with all new episodes. See you then. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. 
Thank you for listening and thank you for your support.